Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you as Dietrich Bonhoeffer expressed your word to us in the book we've been reading through. And and more than that, Lord, continue to weave us together as a community. Continue to, to move by your spirit and your word in our lives and even in these next uh, minutes. Jesus, in your name, amen. You may be seated. So we're continuing in uh, life together. and We get to chapter three, and it's called ministry. So what do you think about when you hear the word ministry? Do you think about you being a minister? Our sign at the old place had ministers, and it had like my name and Jim's name on it. But do you actually think that you're a minister? Does it come to your mind that way? Probably not, right? You're like, no, that's for those other people to do. I'm not a minister. But it actually is where we get the word deacon from, and it literally just means to serve right, as a servant. And that's what we all are, is a minister. Uh, And Bonhoeffer, in this, I'm going to do half the chapter because there's a lot of good stuff, and then the other half next week. Bonhoeffer begins with talking about who is the greatest, and then he talks about holding your tongue in ministry, and then he talks about the ministry of meekness, the ministry of meekness. Now, he begins by talking about how many times, do you ever just go into a room, maybe you don't know anybody, but immediately you can't help it, you're judging people, right? How they look, right? How they act. One time I came into church and a guy comes up to me and he's like, man, pastor, there's a guy, he's kind of freaking me out over there. He's got like these big rings in his ears and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's my son. What did you do to him, right? Like immediately he's got like, he's, by the externals, you know, we, we judge people, don't we? And, the, the, and sometimes we are like putting ourselves in some kind of thing. You know, somebody comes in with a tie or a tuxedo or whatever, right? Somebody comes in in shorts, you're like, it's Gary, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like you, you immediately... Like, judge people or jockey for position, and he would say, this isn't what belongs in the church. Last week, I was talking about, um, <clears throat> to, uh, to different married couples, how it's important, in a sense, to take yourself off your resume and take your kids off your resume. Why? Because we can use our kids to jockey for a position, and we can always, when we go in places, we can feel insecure, whatever, somehow we want to somehow prove to people with our words or with our deeds that we are somebody. Look, I am somebody. Pastors, you know, so what big is, how big is your church, right? With COVID, I'm just happy anybody wants to come to church. You know, you're like, hey, someone's here. You know, it's such, but, but you can just jockey for position and it's, it's unhealthy. And I think we, because of just our nature and because of our culture, we get a wrong understanding of greatness in the kingdom and glory. We, we get it wrong. You know, you know, many times in big churches, you ever been to like mega churches where um, the pastor is almost a celebrity? Or where you go in and you're like, this is like a mall. 
right? I've been, it's, it's kind of cool. There's pizza over there. There's burgers, you know, like it's like, a, and it's just big and it's serving tons of people. And, and, and there it, it's harder to even get an appointment or get close to the pastor. I mean, it's just the, it's the nature of very, very, very large churches. And somehow we, I don't think that, that the glory we give to Christian celebrities is really how, how God's kingdom is and how glory and greatness are to be. But it always happens in any group of people, Christians, non-Christians, we want to know what the pecking order is, right? We want to know who's the greatest. And an argument started, a, a conversation started among the disciples, which of them would be the greatest? And what does Jesus say? I'll tell you what. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. Now, frankly, if I preached on this, I think in some churches, we could then have a competition on who's going to be the least, right? I'm a better least than you. I'm a better nobody than you are, right? Look, I only have two pairs of pants. You have three, right? You know what I mean? Like we could start like having this kind of least competition. And yet when you start thinking about this question, whoever is the least among you, he is the greatest. Who, who became the least? Yeah, amen. Preacher brother, come on. Yeah, yeah. So what is Jesus really pointing to, right? Whoever's the least among you is the greatest. Who's the greatest? Jesus leaves heaven, becomes, becomes not just... The least is somebody who says, I'm going to live the perfect life, deserve the best, but die in your place. I became the least of all. I mean, what a beautiful picture. And I think the more we get it, the more we start looking a little bit like him. That's, that is the picture of greatness in Scripture. And we get glory wrong, too. Look what James and John were doing. The two sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Don't you love that? What did Jesus say? Ask anything in my name, I'll do it. So they use his words against him. Hey, we're asking. We beat the other guys to the punch. When you sit in glory. Now, for them, it might be, they, they might have had a picture like King David on the throne. Or Solomon on the throne. And they wanted to be the left and right hand man. And because you said, ask in my name, Jesus, you got to do what we ask you. Uh, and he said, what do you want me to do? They said, grant us this. One sits at your right, one sits at your left. What do you think Jesus is going to say to them? He says, uh, you don't know what you're asking. I love that. You don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Right? Be baptized in the baptism that I'm going to be baptized? Now, we, we know what Jesus went through. We see that. They didn't know that. And, and he, he's, they said to him, we are able. And Jesus says, yeah, you'll drink the cup that I drink, right? This is my blood. And, and you'll be baptized with the baptism. Yeah, yeah, because everything that happens to me by faith happens to you, right? But look what he says now. But to sit at my right or my left, uh, this is not mine to give, but it's for those to whom it's been prepared. You're like, why do you put the crosses up there? Because when did Jesus, what was Jesus' glory? You ever read the Gospel of John? 
And it talks about the glory that, look at this. He says, when he was gone, Jesus said, this is Judas had just betrayed him. Jesus is at the table. He goes, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. The cross is the glory of Christ. Look at this. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it, bears, it, it doesn't bear much fruit. Like, like here is Jesus saying, my glory is the cross. And the guys are saying, can we have your right and left? He's like, you don't even know what you're talking about. You're asking something in my name that you don't even get. You want to be those two guys hanging on either side of me? Glory, we, we tend to get glory wrong. Edith Schaefer, which was a um, well-known Christian years ago, she was interviewed in Christianity Today, and the interviewer asked her, who's the greatest Christian woman living today? I love her answer. She said, we don't know her name. She's dying somewhere in a cancer ward or living in India. What is she saying? She's saying, you got glory and greatness all wrong. You're thinking who's the greatest, and from God's perspective, they're people you don't even see. You don't even, you don't even notice them. Bonhoeffer said this. He said, the struggle for greatness can occur in the most polite and even pious or spiritual environment. But the important thing is that the Christian community should know that somewhere in it, there will certainly be a reasoning among them which of them should be the greatest. It's the struggle of the natural man for self-justification. Self-justification and judging others goes together as justification by grace and serving others go together. What is he talking about here? Self, I mean, it's a little bit of a head-scratcher, isn't it? You've got to think about this. Self-justification and judging others. Here's the thing. If I don't feel good about myself, if I want to prove my, my worth to the world, and I can somehow put you down, show the world that I'm a little better than you, I, I, I can maybe feel a little better about that. I remember uh, being out to eat with somebody, and, and the, the person who came to serve us had kind of a unique mannerism. And the person I was eating with commented on it in a little condescending way. And I went to wonder, and I thought, I wonder why that person did that. And I, and I thought, just a little insecurity. Just a little insecurity. Because if I can point out your imperfections, then I, I don't have any attention on me. My shame isn't showing. It's like we got fig leaves. If I can pull your fig leaf off a little bit, then nobody's looking at my fig leaves, right? And self-justification, we, we tend to judge other people because we're always evaluating there. But he goes, justification by grace and serving because, of, Lord, when you have forgiven me and loved me, how can I not but give that same stuff out to others. Isn't that beautiful? Well, the next thing he talks about is he says, the ministry of holding your tongue, right? The wise man holdeth his tongue. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, 
but only what is helpful and building up to others according to their needs, that it may be beneficial to those who listen. Is the volume up on the computer sound? Um, anybody remember Thumper in Bambi, right? Yeah, so Thumper makes fun of Bambi, and this is what he's told. Doesn't very good, does he? Thumper? Yes, Mama. What did your father tell you this morning? If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. <laughs> is that not great? Any parents say that to their kids? Yeah, there it is. Come on, preach it. Hey, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That is not bad advice. I do believe let none, no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? It's just a paraphrase of that, but what's helpful in building up of others. I mean, it's... It's the way it is, but isn't it hard? And how often we speak out of insecurity and stuff. You know, in emotionally healthy relationships, uh, the guy talked about when you're with people and someone says something and you want to start judging them in your heart and critiquing them, why not go to wonder? Why not go to curiosity? Isn't that interesting? Why not, why not go to curiosity and wonder instead of immediately internally judging them? Bonhoeffer writes this. He says, where the discipline of the tongue is practiced right, from the beginning, each individual will make a matchless discovery. He will be able to cease from constantly scrutinizing the other person and judging him, condemning him, putting him in his particular place where he can gain ascendancy over him and thus doing violence to him as a person. He's like, when you can learn to hold your tongue and maybe observe a little bit, you won't be trying to position. You're, you're going to... I like his words... You're going to have like a matchless discovery. And then he says, now he can allow the brother to exist as a completely free person, as God made him to be. His view is, expands, and to his amazement, for the first time, he sees shining above his brethren the richness of God's creative glory. Who made you? God, yeah. Who made the person you're judging? God, yeah, yeah. And when, you're, when you stop judging them, you start appreciating their maker. Isn't that interesting? Did God not make this person as I would have... I'm sorry, God did not make this person as I would have made him. He did not give him to me to be a brother for me to dominate and control, but in order that I might find above him the creator. Now... No other person in the freedom with which he was created becomes the occasion of... I'm sorry. Now the other person in the freedom with which he was created becomes an occasion of joy, whereas before he was only a nuisance and an affliction. What's he saying? He's saying when you learn to hold your tongue, you look at humans like a piece of art painted and sculpted by God. Is that, is that not... 
I mean, can you do that? Especially the human sandpaper, right? Certain personalities, we're just going to, we're going to rub, right? Can you stand back emotionally and go, God, wow, look who you made. What if a church could do that? What if your family could do that? What if you could do that at work? He goes on and he says, uh, not, hmm, I should fashion the other person according to the image uh, that seems good to me. That is in my own image rather than in the freedom from God, I'm sorry, from me, God made this person in his image. I can never know beforehand how God's image should appear in others. That image always manifests a completely new and unique form that comes solely from God's free and sovereign grace. To me, it might seem strange or even ungodly, but God created every man in the likeness of his son, the crucified. And he says sometimes it's even ugly to us, but wasn't Jesus ugly on the cross? Isn't that interesting? You know, I learned uh, years ago, and I don't practice it often as I should, something about silence. Have you ever not spoken for three days? No. So I was at this ecumenical monastery in France called Tizay when I was in college, and they challenged us to, to focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus And they said, on Friday, we're not going to speak. And on Sunday, you're going to speak again. And I was in this, like, I was there with somebody else, but um, the women were in one place and the men were in another, so the person I knew wasn't even eating with us. And, And have you ever sat down to eat with a group of strangers and not been able to say a word? And you hear, like, soup slurping, and you're like, ah! And you, and I, and you, you realize how, how many times you speak out of insecurity. And they had a radio on because they knew how awkward it is. But we're sitting there, serping sloop, soup, just being like, being like, it's just awkward. But you know what happens after a while? You become contemplative. You start like this inner conversation with God and with yourself and this... This whole contemplative world opens up. And we were to, to meditate and think about the death of Jesus and took walks alone, took walks with other people, but not saying a word. It was, it, it, it was kind of cool. And then, of course, on Sunday, we, we used our voice to praise the resurrected Jesus. But when you're holding your tongue, it's like you have Jesus in the conversation with the other person. And when strange things or strange things are said or things, you can, you can learn a lot by just going to wonder. Going to wonder. Well, lastly, the ministry of meekness. Now, what comes to your mind when you think meekness? Like mouse-like, doesn't it? I always was bothered by that concept of meekness. And so I, I've taught many times that meek is what they did. They, they trained the Greek war horses for battle. And if they could pass a, a torch under a horse and it wouldn't bolt, then the horse was meeked. 
But I tried to research that and find it, and I found none of that anywhere. Now, you can Google this and find this all over the place, but you can't find the original reference. Somebody made this up somehow, <laughs> and uh, it's really taken off in our world. If you Google it, it's everywhere. But you can't really find the original it, uh, reference. Meek does mean trained. I'd rather think of meek as somebody who is humble, somebody who's not really thinking a lot about themselves. I like what C.S. Lewis said when he talked about humility, and I would say meekness is similar. He said, don't imagine that if you meet a really humble man that he'll be what most people call humble nowadays. He won't be that uh, sort of greasy, smarmy person. We need to bring that word back, smarmy. Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, who is always telling you that, of course, he's a nobody. Probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. You're like, what? Self-forgetfulness? How could that be? Probably one of my favorite uh, little books by Tim Keller is uh, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And, and he talks about how the problem we have when it comes to humility or meekness is our ego, right? Our ego gets in the way. How many times are you thinking about, what did they think about me? I shouldn't have said that. I should have said that. I shouldn't have done. I should. Like you leave a group of people, and some people will say, I'm worried about what they're thinking about me. I said, they're not. They're thinking about themselves and what you thought about them. Don't worry about it, right? You know, it's like, it's like um, because we, we have an ego. And, and, and Tim Keller says this. He says, you know, our bodies function a certain way. Uh, when you get up in the morning, if you have no pain, you're not thinking about your body, right? Betty fell and broke her ribs. But can I tell you that before that, in the morning, she didn't wake up and go, oh, my ribs are great today, right? No, because when our body functions well, we, we're like, my, we don't think about it. it. Only when something is sick or broken does it call its attention to it. And that's the problem with our ego. It's puffed up. It's overinflated. And our ego gets overinflated because there's a problem with it. It should be something like our knee, like our, our, our body that just works and we don't really think about it. I like what uh, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear. That doesn't make me innocent. The word is literally the same word for righteous. That doesn't make me righteous. It's the Lord who judges me. Can, can you get this? I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Now, who would say that? You know what, what I think sometimes people would say? Somebody with high self-esteem. I don't give a rip what you think. It only matters what I think about myself because I'm better than you. But that, that's not really what he's saying there, is it? 
And, and you know how many times I have lived the Christian life, and maybe you've lived the Christian life like this. You have rules and laws that you decide to keep. You know, it might be if I read my Bible every day, if I exercise so many times in sales, if I can hit these numbers. Parents, you know, if I have good um, conferences with my kids, parent-teacher conferences, you know, whatever it is, you have certain standards. If you can hit these standards, you feel good about yourself, right? Maybe there's certain sins that you don't want to do, right? If I don't do these sins, I can feel good about myself. And then when you don't exercise, don't live up, you know, whatever it is, then you feel bad and your life is lived on like a roller coaster. High self-esteem, low self-esteem, high self-esteem, all based on your performance. But the Apostle Paul, he he says this, he's like, I don't, I don't judge, care if I'm judged by you. I, I, don't, I don't care if I'm judged by others. I don't even judge myself. I don't care what you think. I don't care what others think. I don't even care what I think about myself. That's radical, isn't it? I don't, I don't care what I think about myself. And then he goes, I have a clean conscience. When I look at all my life... There's nothing that in my mind I've done wrong that I'm guilty of. And, but look what he says. But it doesn't make me righteous. Why? Adolf Hitler might have had a clean conscience. It didn't make him righteous, did it? Right? Just because you don't feel bad about something doesn't mean you're living up to the standards. A lot, there are sociopaths. There are people who don't, they don't care. They have a clean conscience, but it doesn't make them righteous. Paul is saying, it's the Lord who judges me. So here's the secret for meekness. Here's the secret for humility. It's daily coming to this truth that the verdict is already in. When our ego isn't puffed up, when it's not low to the ground with the low self-esteem, but when we're filled up, because Jesus says, I took your place in the courtroom of heaven so that now you can stand righteous before the Father. See, Christians are people. We're weak. We, we have to come to this truth every day. It keeps us close to our Lord. Every day we have to come back to this, Lord, the verdict's in. And I don't care what other people think. I don't even care what I think. You're the judge, and you took my place. And now our performance, right, instead of our performance leading to a verdict, because it never does, it's never enough, the verdict leads to our performance. We can move out into the world and live as God would want us to live. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your great kindness towards us in Jesus. If anybody here is like me, Lord, they, they need this fresh reminder that their sins are forgiven. They maybe have been striving so hard to perform. And they live their life up and down and up and down, and it's time for your grace to come in and say, it's finished. The verdict's in. Chosen. <clears throat> beloved. Full of grace. Jesus, in your name.
Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.